You can have a seat. The amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You know, those words from 2 Corinthians 13, 14 are really an invitation from Jesus to discover the kind of amazing grace that we were just singing about. But you know, for most of us, amazing grace really has to start by surveying grace. So on Easter, that invitation is for you. An opportunity for us here today to survey the cross, to weigh, to measure, to examine the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this Easter season for the opportunity to celebrate and to reflect on your gift of forgiveness and your gift of new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a well-traveled praise chorus. It's a well-traveled hymn. But what does it really mean to survey the wondrous cross? Well, think of that word survey. We think of what's a surveyor. A land surveyor is often a land assessor. Someone who travels around, explores for a bit, gets a feeling for the land, weighs the value of the land, the size of the land, usually to raise our taxes. But what are they doing? They're collecting evidence. Well, in the same way, surveying the cross is an invitation to look at the evidence for Jesus' death and resurrection, to survey it. I think that comes against a a common misconception that faith is the opposite of thinking. It's checking your brain at the door, right? Now, faith is not the absence of evidence. Faith is the assessing of evidence. It was interesting. There was a guy named Blaise Pascal. He was a French inventor, a French mathematician, and he had lots of colleagues there at university. And many of his colleagues didn't believe in God, Jesus, or the Bible, and he was a follower of Jesus. He was always amazed that they wouldn't even assess the evidence with him. And so he devised what's known as Pascal's Wager. Basically, it was a way of doing a friendly bet with his buddies to say, guys, it's at least worth considering the evidence. If you're right, the benefits are high. And if you're wrong, the consequences are high. So let's at least consider it. Faith. It's not the absence of evidence. It's the assessing of evidence. And don't take my word for it. Take the word of Sir Isaac Newton. The guy needs a new PR agent, right? The only thing we know about him is like an apple dropped on his head one day. But did you know he invented calculus in the 17th century? For good or for bad, that's who's to blame for calculus. He not only invented calculus, but he invented the the math he used for calculus allowed us to actually calculate gravitational pull and things like that. But did you know he wrote 1.3 million words about the Bible? A typical dissertation, 60,000 words. 1.3 million. And what Sir Isaac Newton would say as a follower of Jesus is that the evidence of the predictions of the Old Testament and New, the evidence for Jesus' death and resurrection is viable and historical and is worth considering. So let's take a few moments and consider just three pieces of evidence. In the account from Luke about Jesus' resurrection, it said that women came to the tomb, and when they arrived there, it was the first day of the week. Now make note of that, because that's our first piece of evidence, the first day of the week. Women come to the tomb, and they find it empty. They find the centurion guards uh, have been pushed away. The the rock has been, been rolled away, and here is a missing body. 
Now, historians tell us that sometime around 30 to 33 AD, a new sect of Judaism, primarily Jewish people, changed their day of worship from the seventh day of the week, Saturday, to the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, how hard is it for you to change your family traditions? Imagine one that goes back thousands of years that's cultural and it's religious. What would it take to change thousands of Jewish people's regular practice of worshiping on Saturday and move it to Sunday? As a Yale professor, he says, it's interesting when you study history, why is it that Christianity prevailed where others did not? It was underfinanced. Severe persecution for those who believed in Jesus. And they were up against an enemy state, the Roman Empire, trying to destroy it. And Christianity not only overcame the Roman Empire, it outlived it. He said, this is unprecedented. There must have been an incredible release of energy, of historic proportions around 33 AD to explain what happened. Because the Romans and Greeks didn't give anything away to anybody. And the Christians began a new ethic of generosity and sacrifice and care and love. The Greek-Roman caste system pushed down people and put them in certain categories. Christianity came against the caste system. It elevated the handicapped, elevated the poor, and elevated the role of women in society. What would explain all of this historical change? He said, must have been a vast release of energy like never seen before around 33 A.D. Now, even a skeptic would acknowledge something significant had to cause a shift from Saturday to Sunday to the first day of the week. So many skeptics, take somebody like uh, Dan Brown, who wrote the Da Vinci Code, would say, yeah, the issue is I can explain it, an imperial command. When the emperor becomes a Christian, he makes everybody change their day of worship. So it didn't happen way back at 33 A.D. No, 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 no. It happened around 350 A.D. with Constantine. That explains it. And it might. Except that we have literally thousands of pieces of manuscript of letters written by early Jewish Christians long before 350 A.D. saying that this practice occurred. The Bible is written between 40 to 70 A.D. and twice it mentions we changed to the first day of the week. It was the first day of the week we're going to gather together. Then the disciples who saw Jesus raised said they switched it for that reason. But they had disciples who wrote letters. We have copies of those. And here's just two pieces of them. One manuscript says, we changed the day of worship from the seventh day to the first day because that was the day Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Another manuscript written by a guy says, a little colorful language, uh, he says, we change it from the seventh day, Saturday, to the eighth day, Sunday, because it was the celebration of what we saw, the resurrection of Jesus. Whatever it is, you need to survey the evidence because something in history happened around 33 A.D. that the evidence supports an incredible release of energy of historic proportions occurred about the time Jesus was raised from the dead. Second piece of evidence. When the women come to the tomb and find it empty, they run to tell the disciples. Now, if you were going to write or make up a story so you could be the, the future leader of a new sect of religion... Would you make yourself not believe the main point? See, Luke tells us, as the women came to tell the disciples, the disciples did not believe. In fact, the disciples turned to the women who saw the empty tomb and say, this is an idle tale. This is a fairy tale. This is nonsense. And Peter's like, I'll get to the bottom of this. 
So Peter runs to the tomb and John tells us he saw the empty tomb. He saw the grave clothes. But the word used here in Greek for saw is theo. It's where we get the idea of to theorize. He's thinking. He's surveying the evidence. He's saying, how do you get past four centurions? Who would be strong enough to roll away the tomb? He's theorizing. If it was a grave robber, why would they fold the clothes and leave them so neatly here? Even the disciples needed evidence. Even they need to theorize. They need to survey the evidence. And if you were making up a religion, you would not make yourself such an imbecile. You would not make yourself so incompetent in believing what would eventually be the main thrust of Christianity. But another piece is it's women who find Jesus at the tomb. What's the big deal about that? Well, in that society, it was a very patriarchal society, both in Judaism, which didn't allow women even to testify in the court of law at the time. And the Greek Romans were very, very prejudicial and very, very chauvinistic. In fact, a, step, a skeptic will show up several years later in the Greek Roman Empire named Celsus. And he'll say, oh, yeah, the Christians say that Jesus was, was alive and he showed himself alive. But what's their witnesses but hysterical women deluded by sorcery? That was the attitude of the time. You can't trust women. So why would you write into the story that women found the body? It would not have given you influence over the Judaism at the time, and it wouldn't have given you influence over the Greeks and Romans at the time. The only reason you would write it this way is because it happened. And buried in this is an ancient footnotes. It mentions specific names, Mary, Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, which don't mean much to us, but they meant a lot to the people living during that time. They were saying, the eyewitnesses are still alive. I dare you to check it. I dare you to go talk to them. I dare you to interview them. They're still alive. They can validate what I'm saying, Luke tells us. Joanna was the wife of Chuzza. So what? Chuzza was the CFO of the richest man who's ever lived. Herod. I've been to several of his palaces, Masada being one of them. All over the Middle East, you can find evidence for Herod. Richest man who has ever lived. His CFO Chuzza's wife was one of the people who found the body. This was a household name, a household family you could interview and talk to. That was the credence that these eyewitnesses had found the body. So the first day of the week, we have these eyewitnesses, the disciples needing evidence. Now a third piece of evidence is the road to Emmaus, where... The Bible tells us that it's not ultimately philosophy or religion. It's a historic thing. A couple of folks are walking on the road to Emmaus. And as they walk, it says they are reasoning and conversing. Notice again, Christianity is an act of faith. As you assess, you reason, you converse. What does this mean? And the day of Jesus' resurrection, folks are talking about what happened. See, Jesus died on Passover. Two million people traveled into Jerusalem. This was the Super Bowl of its day. There was thousands, tens of thousands, millions of eyewitnesses to this event. And they're talking about what happened. Jesus, in a very coy, friendly, kind of fun way, comes up behind them as they're talking about his death and the rumors of his resurrection. He hides himself from them and says, hey, guys, what are, you, what are we talking about here? He seems so sad which they, not knowing it's Jesus, say, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know what we're talking about? We're talking about these things. I notice he didn't say these, this dogma. 
this religion or this philosophy. He says things. Christianity claims to be a historical thing. God came into history. So let it fall or let it stand on its claims. The Bible says, I, don't, I do not belong in philosophy class. I do not belong in religion class. I claim I belong in history class. Don't put me in Aesop's fables. It either happened or it didn't. And they're saying, yes, everybody witnesses. Everybody's talking about this. This is the trending topic. This is the top news story. And Jesus, again, maybe with a smile and a wink, says, oh, really? What things are you talking about? They're talking about his death and the thousands of eyewitness accounts to his resurrection. Because at the heart of Christianity is a message that can change your world, the resurrection. And that message is this. No matter how much money you have, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how you grew up, no, no matter what you are, no matter what your politics are, Christianity humbles everybody because it says everybody has the same problem. Your good deeds aren't as good as you think they are, and your bad deeds are far worse than you think they are. No matter who your family is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your politics are, you all equally fall short and need God's forgiveness. And you equally can be esteemed and be a child of God, adopted into the family of God. This message was so unique, it was transforming the Roman Empire. Now, don't take my word for it. There was an article written in the Times in UK, and it was entitled, As an Atheist, I Believe That Africa Needs Christ. This atheist said, as I assess the problems in Africa, men abusing women, tribes fighting and violence just escalating, I noticed that where we tried education, it didn't work. We tried philosophy, it didn't work. But as Christianity came into these different villages, it was transforming the culture in Africa. And as I look at the data, I say we need more of that in the world today. Because tribes that were fighting and escalating violence, when they came to know Christ, they would learn how to love their enemies because at the core of Christianity is that you were God's enemy and he loved you. They began to adopt children because at the core of Christianity is that God adopts into his family, so I want to adopt others. Husbands not only stopped beating their wives in Africa, they began to love and esteem their wives as someone co-created by God and a co-heir with Christ. And he says there is something at the core of the resurrection that can transform culture and family and societies. We need more of that. Certainly happened in history with the Roman Empire. But see, if the Bible makes these claims in history, there should be validation for it. And there is. See, for years people said the Bible makes these claims about people like Pontius Pilate or Herod or Chuzza. There's no evidence outside of the Bible. So using the Bible to argue the Bible's circular reasoning, is there any outside evidence to support that. And people would make fun of Pilate, for example. There's no such thing as Pilate, the, the prefect of Judea. Until about 40, 50 years ago, archaeology continues to find thousands, millions of pieces of archaeological evidence to support the Bible's claims. I got a chance to go to Israel several times. In one of those visits, I was there at one of Herod's palaces, the Herod whose CFO's wife found Jesus' body. And at this very location, they found a stone. You can see my wife leaning up against it. And that is a stone that supports that there was a Pontius Pilate. And if you read that stone, it says exactly what the Bible said for 2,000 years. Pontius Pilate, the prefect of Judea. Now, this is one piece of evidence. There's literally millions to support that the Bible can be validated by reason, by evidence, and by archaeology. Because faith is not the absence of evidence. It's the assessing of evidence. 
And so if you want to increase your faith this week, this year, this month, the way you increase your faith is to increase the evidence. Paul says, look at the evidence. If Christ wasn't actually raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. Now, how would increasing evidence increase your faith? It's simple. If it's true, if it's really true that Jesus Christ died on an old Roman cross and God used a guy dying on a cross to change the world for good, if that's true and there's evidence for it, think how much God could use your circumstances, the troubles and difficulties in your life to change your world. Your faith goes up in the future based on what he did in the past. If Jesus was able to appear alive with a new body, and that new body could eat and hug, it means that you and I can have a brand new body. And as we get older, it aches and pains, and they're replacing this, and they're changing that, and the hair's falling out here. The hope of the resurrection is you get a brand new body. And if you've sat in the hospital with your mom or grandmother, and they can't eat again, they have Alzheimer's. The hope of the resurrection is not only can you see them again, but they will be restored in their mind. They will be restored in their body. And not, I wish I could see that. I hope I can see that. You can know. Because in the same way Jesus says, you can know that you get a new body. Because what I did to myself, I will do to you. You can know for sure. And you don't have to live under a big blanket of guilt. Because you can know you're forgiven of your past, your present, and your future. And because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear of death is gone. Because he lives, you don't have to live under shame anymore. You are loved by the Most High God. Because he lives, you don't have to cram it all into this life. You've got plenty of time. Because if God could restore what he did in the past, he doesn't just offer to forgive you this Easter. He offers to take the engine that is the resurrection and put it in you. Are you running out of patience for your family? Like, I've tried it all. You're running out of compassion. You're running out of of forgiveness. The the story of Easter, the account of Easter, the uh, historic background of Easter is that the engine of the resurrection is available to you. God doesn't just forgive you and say, now try your best. He says, I will give you the engine of my spirit in you, and it will empower you with God's kindness, empower you with God's courage, empower you with God's wisdom, empower you to live the life you've always wanted to live. And that's why the resurrection isn't some cursory concept in Christianity. It is at the very core of it. If you're new to surveying the evidence, maybe this Easter is a chance to say, God, I'm open. I'm open to at least check it out. Or maybe you're like, you know, God, it's worth the risk. I want some of that in my heart and in my family. You can really invite the spirit of resurrection from Jesus into you as simple as saying a prayer. And if you feel like you're ready for that, let me just give you a moment that you can pray that to God in your own words. If you want to bow your heads with me, something like this. Just say, God, I believe that you're my father. And I believe you sent your son this Easter. I believe he died. I believe he was buried. And God, I believe he rose from the dead. And I invite that spirit into my life to empower my life. I believe in the Father and in the Son. Amen.